0: (laughs) 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 You actually had
1: something. I was Uh, just making sound. I like it. Um,
0: We just got back from Banff and I'm finally rested and feeling myself again. So that was fun to bring that energy out.
1: I'm tired.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know you had to jump in and do a lot more work. It was
1: an exhausting weekend.
0: Yeah. Lots of fun, but really yeah. tired at the end.
1: Yeah. I don't think the weather helps with that either. Just no. being really cold and you're tense and
0: And by really cold we mean like Calgary Banff really cold, which is minus seventeen, minus twenty five, minus thirty. It didn't
1: get that cold while we were there.
0: No, well today it was a high of minus yeah, seventeen. But we're, so we're back it's home. felt <laughs> And it's been snowing a lot.
1: If you want to talk about now, fuck no. (laughs) Like, I've been bitching about it. So how about we talk about something fun? I don't want to bitch.
0: Yeah, let's talk about all the awesome movies that we saw there. Wait, hold on. Oh, okay. Why were we in Banff? Yeah. (laughs) Because there's a mountain film festival.
1: The Banff Mountain Film and Book Festival. Yep. Where was the book part of that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh,
0: I think it's a lot okay. of it was more in conversations. They had gotcha. the artists around, and um, uh, they had who was it? Rocky Mountain Books. They we went into that room where they had their little table set up. Oh
1: yeah, we. Turned they were in around. the
0: marketplace and sponsoring some some books and talk. I think it was a lot more discussions. I didn't look up as many of the book events because we were focused on the movies and the film events. Mm-hmm. Um. But I remember seeing some conversations with authors and um, people in the book industry.
1: So, this was your second time going.
0: Yes. And my good friend Brian Russell, who is the co owner of Finestrino Film Company, a company that we started in Bellingham, Washington to produce um, web content for businesses, uh, well, video content for businesses on our websites
1: and weddings and other things well, that was
0: Willowcraft. oh sorry which so was eventually folded into shoes. it but yeah we were emotional of, most of what we did together was the commercial work through that um yeah and so this year i'm actually going to be stepping away from that because i don't like doing that much u.s tax paperwork so i needed to remove myself from the company and when we had began the company we had discovered the Banff Mountain Film Festival. Uh, so I think it was November 2015 or 2016 when we went for the first time, and it completely blew my mind about what documentary filmmaking can be, what um, like mountain films can be. Yeah, you're raising your hand.
1: I have a question. Yeah, I thought I'd be respectful by being given you a pause instead of because I I tend to just be like, but. Eh. So my question is, um, because this was my first film festival ever of any kind, and I didn't know what what was being. I didn't know what the films were. I didn't know they were documentary. I didn't know anything. (laughs) So is that are the films usually similar throughout the years? That usually, um, you know, the the skiing and the snow and the mountains.
0: Yeah the the spirit of the festival is. In stories around mountains and the outdoors. Now, that's okay. not always the traditional, um, I you know, climbed up some snowy peak or something. You know, as we saw, there are lots of foothill areas or uh, warmer weather mountains or there are summer seasons in mountains. There's uh, a growing environmental aspect to it as yeah. well. So I think that has been folded in because environmentalism is a big part of mountain culture yeah, anyway. Protect our winter. So even if it's, yeah, exactly. And even if it's not exactly a story set in the mountain, if it's dealing with themes of mountain culture, which are often community, um, you know, very independent people pushing themselves in a physical manner, uh, environmental uh, concerns or, uh, you know, stories involving, um, I think. Cultures and and this year, I think the, the noticeable difference that everybody was addressing and talking about was, uh, I think stories of indigenous cultures, and and minority groups around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, it was really beautiful to see it opened up so much more beyond mountain, because I think last time it was very winter focused, and and definitely felt a lot more mountain centric, but um i think when i grew up there's this filmmaker warren miller and he made these ski videos and that's basically just extreme backcountry skiing on crazy slopes and that was always my idea of what a mountain film is so when we went for the first time and i'm seeing all these stories that are not about skiing and it's people i don't know have like discussing this very spiritual connection to the earth and wanting to push themselves to achieve things that they didn't think they could do. And that really rang true to me in a very, uh, I I don't know, it was this like super deep inspiration that seemed to awaken something inside of me that I don't think I've ever experienced with any other kind of film or at any other film festival. Because the other ones seem to be so much more about the film market or winning an award. It's like about prestige or making money and selling your film. And this film festival feels nothing like that. It kind of feels like going back to camp with your friends or something, you know.
1: Well, I appreciated um, uh, well, seeing it for the first time. Still just the di- diversity, because if it were just snow skiing, snow burning mountains, I would have not been able to relate at all.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I don't think I would either. That, that aspect gets kind of old even for me you know yeah, it starts to like feel like just some
1: new business
0: yeah it starts to feel like just watching a highlight reel of people's epic jumps and stuff and yeah. you know like it's kind of interesting for a minute but then you you know you're over it so yeah. you really do need more story Ugh. pardon me um yeah so my friend Brian came up picked him up what, Thursday night at the airport yep yeah, very late. And then Brian and I toodled tootled around Calgary, because he had not been in Calgary, uh, wow, when was he there? Like 30 years or something since he had been here?
1: Yeah, because you guys didn't come to Calgary when you went to the Banff.
0: Nope, nope. We drove straight time. to Banff from Bellingham. And um, yeah, so I got to show him around the city a bit, which was fun, and it was all covered in snow and very... You know, stereotypical. He was <laughs> taking a lot of
1: videos and pictures and stuff on the way to Banff.
0: Yeah, I just took him around to some of my favorite points, uh, you know, that I found through my bike riding. But of course, we were driving the truck in the snow. And then once you got done with work, we headed out to Banff so we could check into our little Airbnb, nice little hotel uh, or a little, yeah, like a hotel Airbnb. suite <laughs> in, what well, was in sort of a hotel y kind of mm-hmm. building, yeah, you know, yeah. part of a hotel or something. Uh, in Canmore, and then we went to the first night of films.
1: Yeah, it was a it was a it was a long day. For
0: yeah, me. the film started <laughs> at what seven something and got done at like eleven or something ridiculous.
1: Yeah, we went to bed. Uh, after, we were in bed after midnight, like yeah. close to one. Getting up early to get out in the next morning.
0: What I'm curious to hear from you because the first film that started playing there was the Creation Theory film. Yep. And I'm curious to hear what was sort of your first reactions to that Uh, as an, as like an introduction to the festival. Right.
1: Um, okay. So wait one sec here, mm -hmm. which I think I say that a lot. Um, before that, the, the short, the four films played that night, there was a conversation.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. With Vasu and, um, Greg,
1: Greg, I can't
0: remember last names right
1: now. No, me either. And so, um, First of all, I was like, "Oh, snowboarding, skiing,
0: <laughs>
1: It's just not something that's been in my life ever. It's something I've tried once, and hated. So I just didn't know how that conversation was going to go. Um, but if, if, if my opinion on the conversation, it was so much more, and um, I'll let you explain more about it, but. I got a lot out of. It was a bit of a one-sided conversation, which was fine, but um, like it was Greg asking all the questions. Um, we got to know oh, about yeah. Vasu, um, and didn't really know anything about Greg, which is fine. Um, but I thought uh, the 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 world issues. Um, that Vasu brought up, other than just talking about skiing, was awesome. Please fill in the blanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't remember as much of the the details it's of the a, conversation. It was a long
1: conversation. It was a lot to take in at once, so I don't blame you. But I feel like you could just maybe add a little bit more than what I could.
0: Yeah. Well, Vasu is a what was I forget the term that they used. But he, he lost one of his legs at I want to say was it nine years yeah,
1: old?
0: Yeah, that's the, yeah. Yeah, or or very early. Nine months. Nine months. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it was so, nine
1: months. He was a baby.
0: Yeah, I think it was some kind of an infection, if I recall, and so it had to be amputated. Um, but that hasn't stopped him from pursuing a love of skiing or hiking in the backcountry. and he's been out. Oh yeah, skateboarding too. Uh, he's. He's been pushing the boundaries for for athletics, and oh, this is why I wish I could remember the term. There's a term that they wanted that he wanted to use for for what he does. But
1: we'll put in the sh- in the show notes after uh, something uh, like we'll. Yeah, um, I didn't
0: research well for this. But we
1: never do. We just want to talk about our experience. Can't remember some shit, but if we throw that in there, then people can look into
0: yeah but it was v- i remember it was very say. interesting his perspective comes from that of someone who is one of like you know 10 people in the world or maybe even less you know who are who are out there in the mountains with that level of disability
1: and like, he is helping um actually make gear like create gear mm-hmm. for disabled people yep i
0: And he's also Indian American and he proudly represents his Indian heritage and culture and and wants to bring that awareness. And um, I remember he hates that word being inspirational. So I'm I'm feeling a little blank in terms of, of what to say uh, on that front. But I, I did admire and it, it gave me the sense of, man, whatever problems I'm facing really aren't that big. And if and if this man has the grit and determination to go out and and chase the things that he wants to do and put in the work with half of the leg that I have. (laughs) uh, Wow. Like it. uh, Yeah. Really amazing. I don't think we got to see any films with him in it there. No, we. I thought one was in the groups we were going to, but. Um, I'm gonna have to circle back and look those up. I grabbed the brochure to make sure I can go back and see some.
1: We're playing though, because we saw a we saw a lot, but there was way more.
0: Yeah, and I think what was his next adventure? I want to say it was something with the seven summits. Like he He wanted to summit a mountain on every continent.
1: Yeah, Uh, uh, something like that. And uh, you know what? I'm this is like all out of my world and my language of that kind of stuff, so I appreciated watching the conversation, but I was lost.
0: Yeah, me too, to an extent. But it was enjoyable. They were wonderful, wonderful conversationists.
1: And what, regardless of what he said, he's, he's still an inspiration.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Greg even said that to him in, the, in sure. their talk.
1: <laughs>
0: and then the films began.
1: Yeah, so, sorry, back to your question. Yeah. So the first um I didn't know what to expect. I was at that point thinking we were just going to see a lot of snow and skiing, and you know how I feel about that. <laughs> um but and I'm just gonna, I feel like I'm going to butcher everything I say about these films, but this one caught me off, caught me off guard at the beginning cuz it started so in your face, beautiful, galaxy, sparkly look to it.
0: Yeah, it was and like was glittery like, ink what? in black.
1: I it, thought.
0: Macro work.
1: And and also, um, actually, so Griff, whatever his last name is, is he did the scoring for the the film. He does the music and he's um, he stars in it too. And he, he actually did some live mixing, he what he called texturing well yeah, he was went. playing
0: the synth keyboard and adding music yeah, to cool. the music already happening in the film.
1: Um, but doing
0: cool. it live on stage with the film.
1: Yeah, so so Which, the visual right off the back was like, oh, that's pretty. And then that sounds so nice. I he's got great music, and he draws it. Um, his his musical inspira- inspiration from nature, so we got to see a bit of him and that. But besides, a,
0: he does surfing as well. Surfing and music are his big loves.
1: So besides, I was gonna say besides him doing the music, there was another guy who was surfing, and then then two women who were snowboarding, and then. Was there someone else? No, I think that was it. Yeah, I don't
0: remember. Um,
1: and they're in... Iceland. Iceland. Yeah.
0: So surfing in Iceland, which is a... Wow.
1: And I, don't I just know how anyone don't survived know Iceland. how to explain the effects, but it was not your average doc, like skiing documentary or snowboarding documentary or even like a... I don't know. I had a a lot of feelings that I can't even really explain, but I will uh, like when. So you're at the end of um, all the showings. You're supposed to um, wow, vote, (laughs) vote for uh, the people's choice. Mm -hmm. So I think I remember telling you the one thing that bothered me about that was that it was a lot about Griff. And the music. And the way that they had announced it didn't sound like it was going to be all... I didn't even think he was actually going to be in it. And then I saw him and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But what about everybody else? We get a tiny little bit of them and that's that bothered me. I still voted for them just because I love the way they put the whole thing together. Um, the it's color, very creative and abstract sound. and... yeah modern um, the, what they were saying how they felt I was just like this is just this is too much of just him though that bothered me um I don't what can you add to that how did well, that the way? whole
0: I, I loved the concept of the film they brought in cosmic elements because there was a narrator speaking over those parts talking about space and time and relativity, relativity. and so they were playing with those three um elements like that you have space you have time and then you have an observer and between those three uh variables that's what creates your experience in the moment of your life and they were trying to take I guess science and uh, and interweave that I guess theory of the universe with the creative process which is where I think the music came in like how do you find inspiration to the music and then interweaving that creative process with achieving flow state when you're in a lot of these athletic uh, types of things. So that was the surfing and the snowboarding. That was the athletes and finding flow, and you know, which is often compared to a kind of meditation. And you know, a, I think people often describe it as a just a deep connection with the world. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of a spiritual connection. So I think they they were just weaving all of that together in in one like what what was it 15 minute film or something like that so i
1: don't know how long things a short
0: film somewhere around there
1: what was the second one though i can't i'm blanking i, I, honestly I remember, don't remember the first and the last oh, was it the baffin
0: island vacation oh shoot <laughs> how could we
1: forget this okay this one i probably even no remember more of now that you'd say yeah. so <laughs> this one was so fucking cute um I really love the way that it started. What was it called? A Baffin Vacation.
0: Yeah. We so Baffin uh,
1: Isl- Baffin Island Vacation. Yeah. Uh, anyways, if you don't know where that is, it's in None of it. None of it.
0: Yep. It's Nunavut. a big island on the eastern Atlantic coast of Canada.
1: Yeah. And um, so this couple, they it it opens up like vintage. Like, oh where to take your family on a vacation, go to Baffin Island, that's where you'll find love, or something, I don't know. Like
0: a 40s or 50s newsreel ad that plays the Yeah, the editing was
1: cool, that was really fun, and they were hysterical, but, so correct me if I'm wrong, jump in where I'm wrong, and the couple, Sarah and Boomer, they do, they kayak, and they, um,
0: Climb rock mountains,
1: climb. rock climb mm-hmm. um and they were just going on this trip they had planned a trip and
0: a 45 day trip
1: and they were just like let's just uh let's just record what what we do up there and you know maybe we can get a film into the band film festival so we better make a really good one yeah <laughs> and they did a great job and they made it in there
0: yeah and it was awesome i loved the dynamic between them
1: yeah they they were definitely super, super like, You wouldn't have been able to go on a truck like that if you don't have someone. And and I think even Sarah wasn't too um, skilled or or familiar yet with all the kayaking. And even both of them were a little bit um, fearful of even the rock climbing at at points. So, but they yeah. just they love pushing themselves and pushing each other. And I I just thought they did a fucking fantastic job. They were fucking hilarious. Like they made, they were so funny.
0: Yeah. And um, they were also there in person, which is another great uh, aspect of the Banff Mountain Film Festival that I love. So yeah. many of the filmmakers come there, they talk about their film, and you watch it. And then you can also go meet them in the lobbies or mm-hmm. go have drinks around town with them and get to know them if you so please. It's a yeah. really cool element of that festival. They
1: very humble. You know, mm-hmm. this is just something they did. Obviously, that's what they said. And uh, it just worked out.
0: Yeah. It's like they were going on that trip no matter what. But they decided, let's film it. And if we're going to film it, let's make it good uh, enough to get in the festival. I will and say cool. I
1: was like, I was, I was like holding in my pee watching Boomer go down this massive um, waterfall in a kayak. <laughs> yeah, And I, I don't get I. I i would probably drown <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, they mentioned he had a kayaking background. He'd been kayaking yeah, since he was yeah. like little and his family had kayaked, I believe. So he was really well versed in the kayaking and both of them were newbies to the climbing. So that was fun to okay. see. I think it was fun to see him, you know, helping Sarah push herself a little and get more skillful in the kayak. And then also to watch him cut loose and find the, the big, Dangerous things that are fun to him because he has a lot of skill and experience
1: mm-hmm. uh, doing that. Mm-hmm.
0: Which is, I think that's a really fun dynamic in the mountain world is watching that, you know, compassion and camaraderie of helping somebody push themselves a little farther. And then also, you know, I don't know, I find it invigorating watching someone who has a lot of talent and skill at something just go so, for something big.
1: Uh, yeah. And then also, um, yeah, being humbled by their struggle as well, and not trying to hide that. I yeah. love that.
0: Yeah, the honesty there is really, really nice. And the, I don't know, was there anything else from that night? I don't remember any others that night. I don't night remember the out.
1: third film at all, but I think the fourth one was Quana. Quana. Is
0: that, that night? Okay.
1: Yeah, because the second night was when we went to see one of our favorite documentaries. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So, Quana's Quana's story. Um, and that I, was a really good... It was Quana, beautiful. I voted right? for that That's one that name? night. Yeah. Quana. I'm yeah. I'm going to
0: grab the brochure here real yeah, quick. Can, please, you, can you describe help it Help us.
1: <laughs> okay, so, Quana is... Is there, like, a write-up in there, too? <laughs>
0: yeah. But just, yeah.
1: Uh, because From there's just... There's there's things that I... I the, there's details I can't express. <laughs> Guys. Yeah. Oh,
0: it's called Walking Two Worlds. So... I'll just read the write-up here. Yeah, uh, the mother-daughter duo Jody Potts and Quana Chasing Horse, two powerful I'm so sorry if I pronounce that in- wrong. Indigenous. Yeah, uh, indigenous in Alaska. Um, represent the decades-long intergenerational fight to protect the Arctic. The film follows Quana as she pursues and achieves her dream of becoming an indigenous supermodel, breaking barriers of representation while walking in two worlds her indigenous way of life, and modern society. The intergenerational love for the land and one another is the vig- visionary source of hope we all need. Like their ancestors, the Gwishin, Gwishin, are not giving up and neither should we. I'm sorry for the mispronunciations. It's, it's
1: okay, it's hard. Um, that was a cool story. Well, yeah, s- story. It's their story. Um, I really loved seeing what they did in the Arctic. Like, they, they live off the land. Mm-hmm. Um. A,
0: you hunt for caribou and reindeer. and
1: Yeah, and then they also would um, be in. I don't
0: think reindeer in Alaska. Sorry.
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, out there protesting, and that's how Kwana got noticed.
0: Yeah, well, they're building an oil pipeline up there, but of course, everyone's supposed to, because we don't need more pipelines.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, yeah, but she also had that deep desire to be a model in the been like a, in the like international her whole life. modeling scene. You know, like mm-hmm. at the top level of modeling.
1: What I thought was cool, her mom gives her her native tattoos. So so she's 19 in this film. Um, And she's already got her some facial tattoos, um, earned her native tattoos. And um, what I like that she brings to the modeling world is that acceptance. You know, uh, not trying to change herself and she even asks the people she works with not to change her don't remove my tattoos don't change my hair color don't do this don't do that um because that's what she's that's what she was um like picked for too right um so that's what she's representing and I think she does a really good job um but she was saying how hard it was because she feels it's really different, you know, living in LA than Alaska, where you are don't have to work for anything. And she, I know, she said she was really struggling. with... Well,
0: I mean, you were. It's a different work. Okay, right? you don't. Like,
1: yeah. yeah, you're not. She was missing her roots. She was afraid mm-hmm. she was gonna forget everything she's learned. Yeah. Um, and her heritage and her culture and her ancestry and, um. I can see that being really difficult and I'd really like to see what happens in her life in the future and hope that that she does not forget that stuff and succumb to that horrible
0: world. Yeah, well, stay strong enough to to keep that um, that self-preservation, I guess, of, you know, you're hiring me for me and who I am. So you won't change me Mm -hmm. in these images or, you know. I, I really appreciate that. And I think we need more voices like that in acting and modeling fronts or just public.
1: And for um, young people, too, because she yeah. is so mature um, for her age because she's had to do things that most people don't mm-hmm. learn ever in their life.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're living in a remote area where like, you have to go. You, you have to bring in your own water supply. Yeah. You have to hunt for your dinner.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a totally different way of life. And yeah. it was it was heartbreaking also to, to see that moment when she came back. Remember after there was the fires? And, and she comes back. Um, so she comes back to Alaska from L.A. And there had been a bunch of fires that wiped out a lot of the forest around where they live.
1: Yeah, their outhouse.
0: And I, I love the way they shot it because you could really palpably feel the pain off of the screen that she was feeling you know like she's already down in la fearing that she will lose her heritage through that distance and lack of contact and then i guess coming back and seeing it physically being destroyed too and then adding that extra layer of stress of oh my god i might even just lose it physically because it could burn up Mm -hmm. or be yeah fucked with in that regard and um yeah, that was that her, was a really powerful moment and
1: her mom is a powerhouse too yeah you know, I love her fam- mom my my kids are all out doing their their thing they' and she's incredibly supportive but she belongs up you know north where her 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 life is yeah she likes her quiet life she likes to live off that land
0: you know Could, after going to la Heck, yeah, I understand. I know. <laughs> I know.
1: Can you tell me what the or tell us what the third one was that we missed?
0: Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you,
1: is it not? That was just them listed. Ah, uh, shit.
0: Let me see though. It, it Saturday, obviously wasn't
1: Saturday. that good in my mind. If I can't remember even a little Friday bit of it. Friday
0: radical reels. I don't think that was it. I don't know. We'll have to look elsewhere for him.
1: Okay, here. Can I have that while you take us to the next day?
0: Yeah. Well, the next morning we were wow. We had to get up early and get there. We
1: still ended up getting out later than we wanted, though. Yeah.
0: So we arrived a bit late and we got some crummy seats. But I remember that first film that opened up. Um, it was about the base jumper in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil and that one was gorgeous it was all in Portuguese with the subtitles but it was so poetic and we followed her through her process of you know packing her shoot and then getting up to the um
1: sorry it's packing the shoot is very important to do it proper
0: yeah and we follow that process but as we're watching her do these things, we're hearing her speak about the intention and the discipline that she enjoys in this sport. You know, I remember I think one of the most powerful moments to me in that film was when she's standing on the edge, like waiting to feel that moment when she should jump. Because, I, you know, like I've been up on on really, you know, high cliff edges and stuff. Never in a position where I'm going to jump from them. And so I could only imagine standing there, you know, waiting for the moment when you're going to leap off it. Because for me, even just standing there or sit, you know, like I was sitting on the edge of the Grand Canyon at a place where, uh, you know, you're thousands of feet up above this river with nothing but sheer rock below. And I'm like, I can't believe someone would jump from this. Like I'm just sitting here and I'm already and the whole time I'm sitting there. I'm thinking of, how I'm gonna get the fuck out of here without accidentally slipping. <laughs> <laughs> and um and so I couldn't imagine standing up on that, on that, and just thinking, and then I'm gonna jump. Yeah. Like that's insane to me. But so beautiful. I loved her the way she described her connection with that sport in the air and that mountain itself.
1: I liked the scene where she's just standing standing there with their arms open and the wind blowing and you can just see how comfortable and carefree and how authentic it all that realness and it just made me feel like I need to breathe a bit more like I need to let go is something not working okay okay Mm-hmm. and just I don't yeah it was just freeing
0: yeah and then what was the second the one the second one was about the dams in no Brazil
1: it was Balkan Express
0: oh right this is Which, the
1: day where Jake and I actually left early
0: <laughs> yeah but not for reasons of the films um we'll get to that
1: except that one I I will say so the Balkan Express. Here I I just passed that shall I read what that's about?
0: Yeah, give that one a read.
1: Okay. Uh pardon me. <laughs> so it's in Germany. Um German Mountaineers, Max Chronic and Jochen Messel. Sorry. Book a one-way train ticket from Munich to Thessaloniki and start there. 2,500-kilometer journey back home by bike and ski. That's in
0: northern Greece.
1: They explore the mountains of the Balkans looking for the most beautiful ski runs and sharing good times with locals along the way. It was 41 minutes.
0: Yeah, and it was like a 2,500-kilometer bike ride.
1: Yeah, I was falling asleep. I'm so sorry. Good job, guys. This is, I think they said the second year in a row they were in the Banff. Um, film Festival, and it was the most boring that we watched. I it was needed bored. needed a
0: little more attention to it.
1: I was so fucking bored. Like I was so glad we were sitting down at the wall, at the back, because uh, I was falling asleep.
0: And you didn't have any coffee. I
1: didn't have coffee. We didn't sleep long. I didn't sleep well. But also, it was really boring. It ended up winning something, didn't it?
0: Mm-hmm. I forget won yeah. one award. It was a fantastic journey. I think the filmmaking needed a little tightening up, but it was a spectacular idea, and I'm I'm blown away by their ambition and I guess the scope with which they dream, because that's a huge undertaking uh, that I can't imagine you just sort of dream up offhand one day with your buddy, you know, like. That's a serious endeavor. Oh, yeah. Especially to bike the whole way through mountains and snow and, yeah. Uh, A lot of coolness to it. A lot of coolness to it. A lot of, what was the, I I did enjoy the soundtrack, though. They had a lot of weird sort of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like European house music or something. Sort of like indie pop Euro (laughs) something. It was cool. I did like the music from that. But my favorite though was the one scene I I love this when they were at the snow hill in um towards the end of their journey. I can't remember the country right now, but they were at this one snow hill but there was like no snow.
1: Oh yeah. And he's sitting in the <laughs> little
0: hut there and there's the phone and he's like ring ring and he picks it up. He's like, "Hello, can you please send snow?" It
1: <laughs> <laughs> was funny. I love
0: those glimpses of humor in it and and learning a little I guess about that region. It's it's a funky area of the world that I don't know much about. Um, But but watching them traverse it made me uh, made me want to learn a bit more about that, those regions and and those countries, you know, like Greece, Kosovo, Albania, Macedonia, um, Montenegro Um, seemed like a really cool bunch of areas to go to. Croatia.
1: So I'm still trying to see if I could find out what the hell that third. It's
0: all good. If you uh, don't remember. Then.
1: You know, I went through the whole thing. Nothing stuck out. So obviously it didn't make any sort of. Keep going. Yeah.
0: Um. But after that one, that was then came the film about the dam in no, Brazil.
1: That was the next day because we left. That So by the time Balkan Express was over, it was the um wasn't it the break and we left wasn't it the the next day before that we watched the territory where the
0: no i thought it was saturday morning that's why i was jumping onto it well
1: now i'll tell you i'm so confused everything is just blended now keep you can keep going then i'm sorry
0: yeah so yeah there was a story about the oh what area was that in brazil can't remember but anyhow there's a big mining operation that's owned joint venture with some brazilian bitter companies, river? and a, yeah bitter river that's it um uh it's joint venture between brazil and english mining companies and they had a big dam fail you want me to read it with all the waste and it flooded this whole area and destroyed a lot of lives Yes, please take it away because you'll describe uh, it better.
1: Oh, uh, It actually doesn't have a lot to say uh, um, in this book, but it just says, through victim testimonials and firsthand accounts, Bitter River tracks the loss of life, land, and livelihood. In the aftermath of the 2015 tragedy of the Mariana Dam rupture, the world's single largest mining-related en- environmental disaster does not say where it was hmm. or anything else.
0: Yeah, so I can't remember the region in Brazil, but it's this very, um, what's the word for it? It's a small community. You know, it wasn't a, a big city, um, but it did flood the river, and that's what affected many more people. was that it wiped out this community, and then a lot of that, it's like mining waste of some kind that they um hold up there. And I think the saddest part of that whole thing was it was through a negligence of the mining company. Like they had known there were these issues with the dam and they did not fix them. And they were warned repeatedly that this could happen and they let it happen. And then they did a shit job doing any kind of cleanup or accepting any responsibility for it.
1: Yeah, so there were were um, like three dams In a row, kind of thing, and the second, the middle one is the one that shattered and busted everything else. Um, It it released millions of tons of toxic mud and caused destruction across five hundred kilometers from the mountains of Minas Gerais to the Atlantic Ocean.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Wow, that was say how
0: many lives were lost.
1: Oh, uh, I'd probably have to go through a little bit, but if I remember, I think 11 died and 16 were missing or something. It was a small amount of people that actually, in this one, mm-hmm. but there was another dam that burst in another time that killed like 250,000 yeah. people or something.
0: Yeah, but the I think what was shocking about that one was it, Definitely showed the ways in which corporations and governments work together to essentially dissipate responsibility and no real action is taken to resolve the issue.
1: They called it a tragedy. Did you already say that? When other people were saying it's a crime. It's not a tragedy. This was um, preventable.
0: Yeah, due to the negligence on behalf of the Mm corporation.
1: And it was in Bento Rodriguez.
0: Okay. That's the town. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I remember there's some kind of lawsuit going on in England against the, like one of the larger stakeholders in that operation because it was an English company, and that has been one of the largest lawsuits against the company for an environmental disaster in terms of dollar figures, um, being sought. Yeah. And I really hope to God that they win because these kinds of stories seem to be more and more prevalent. And there seems to be more and more examples of corporate and government negligence around these kinds of issues. And the real losers are the people who are just trying to live simple lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Just live in life like fishing from the river that used to be called Sweet River. Now they call it Bitter River because everything is dead. Everything is contaminated. So. Well, i'm yeah. gonna apologize on our behalf for kind of butchering a lot of these things really um but i'm happy we're able to share and if you're so inclined please go look these things up because they're watch really the important films. to know like,
0: yeah watch the films if you want to learn more
1: i didn't i didn't i'm in i live in my own bubble i really do i'm that kind of just person and as much as i want to help the environment in my own way i'm um have been ignorant to a lot of these worldly disasters so i a thousand percent appreciate you guys taking me with you
0: yeah and to I think see
1: these things it was very depressing though <laughs> i'm depressed
0: yeah some of them um and then yeah so i think it was after that one that they had the intermission and we left Okay. Um, I had to go because I was actually second shooting a wedding that was happening in Canmore that I had known about long before we were going to Banff. And it was just kind of a cool excuse to go to Banff again because I was already going to be in Canmore to shoot this wedding. So why not spend the weekend, have fun with friends and and uh, and watch some great films? So I went off to do that, which was a really cool experience. And it was also my first Sub-Zero wedding shoot. (laughs) it was an outdoor shoot in canmore during the snow and holy gosh i hope everybody is like not sick with pneumonia and healthy (laughs) because it was freezing freezing cold during that time not
1: not not my kind of jam but
0: lots of fun shout out to calla ramberg uh calla ramberg photography she's an amazing wedding photographer here and i've really enjoyed getting to work with her a couple of times (laughs) this year on some of her shoots and uh, I was always great. I'm always grateful when she calls and asks me to come out. So
1: yeah, thank awesome.
0: you, Kala. That was, that was so mm-hmm. much fun. Um, and then when that, when my time there was over, I came back.
1: Well, Jake took me back to the Airbnb cause he said I was going to be no good if I did not have a nap. <laughs>
0: you were fading
1: (laughs) oh my god thank you well i felt bad because i was i was abandoning brian it was gonna be me and brian i was like i was interested in hanging out with brian and then i was like i can't i'm sorry i got you're right thank you
0: yeah we had worked a whole day and then we went and watched films till late at night and then we barely slept and we went to watch more films and i know you need sleep so
1: yeah, he found a corner to nap in asleep. at some point there, too. Yeah, he needed a nap, too. He's a grown-ass man. He he figured his, his thing yeah. out. He had fun.
0: He's quite sociable as well. So if he wanted to go find people, he'd go find people and make friends yeah. and have a fun time.
1: So I had an, a nap.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I had a nap, and then I went for a little walk, and there's bunnies in Canmore. <laughs> Just, oh yeah, like, right. walking around. <laughs> there was one, and it came up to say hi to me, and then... Uh, so I went to a local little pub, the Angry Bear Growlers or something, and just had a little snack and um, some flights and chit chat with the beer tender, and then I um, walked back. And then there were three bunnies. <laughs> one was on the <laughs> they s- multiplied. One was on the mat of of one of the uh, someone's place, and then. Then there was a black one carrying some a stick or something. And then that other one that was there still. And he came back and said, hi. And it was super cute. That's amazing. And then I, at that time is when I started dinner. We had bag pasta yep. for dinner. <laughs>
0: <I did it laughs> Made again. a bag yep.
1: of pasta, brought it back to Banff. and
0: Found a conference room to chow <laughs> down.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that, that was, was funny.
0: Great. But then we went to see one of our... Well, I think it's my favorite film of the festival, The Fire of Love,
1: that which was... was
0: a a feature documentary, meaning it's like 90 minutes or something like that.
1: We went to the theater and saw that at the Lux Theater. Yeah,
0: that was playing at the Lux Theater in downtown Banff. And oh, my God, do I love that Want film. Want me to read it? Yes, please. Read away.
1: So Fire of Love. Katia and Maurice Kraft loved two things, each other and volcanoes. For two decades, the daring French volcanologists (laughs) couple roamed the planet, chasing eruptions and documenting their discoveries. Ultimately, they lost their lives in a 1991 volcanic explosion, leaving a legacy that forever enriched our knowledge of the natural world. Fire of Love tells the story of primordial creation and destruction, following two bold explorers as they venture into the unknown, all for the sake of love. I love that. I love that they're these two people, who have come together. Um, she was, who? Okay, so so one was a geologist, one was a geochemist.
0: She was a chemist. Was.
1: Yeah, so w- w- that's fucking awesome. And then they get together and they're like, we're not going to have kids. We're going to venture around and we're going to um, see these volcanoes that we love, do the things we love. And so it's a lot of love. Yeah. And then they died right next to each other.
0: Yeah, in a pyroclastic flow. In Japan. Yeah. But there was so much life that was lived before that. And like uh, so Maurice, funny. the... The husband and the uh, geologist. He had such a comical approach to their work, um, like in blowing up an inflatable boat and going out into a uh, a lake of what was it, hydrochloric acid or sulfuric acid? Something One that those- was
1: going to belt your boat.
0: Well, it didn't quite melt the rubber, at least. It didn't. But um, it did melt the steel because they were trying to take a little sample cup and drop it down in the lake and bring it back up. And it melted the the metal or the steel cabling that they were using to drop it. Um, And he had that dream of wanting to ride a canoe down a lava flow. Like, the guy just had this absurd vision for life. That never did happen, though, hey. No, I don't think that would happen. Uh, (laughs) But he had this absurdly comical vision of of life and love for volcanoes that was so personal in that sense. Like, it was a very playful love that he had with the volcanoes. And I think it brought a very playful love between the two of them. I love that interview where they talked about, you know, a marriage between two volcanologists is is very explosive.
1: Yes, <laughs> and, they and they erupt often. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and she's just glaring down at him in the background, but with a smile on her face. Totally, like playing it. along. Oh, and she had so her beautiful. quirky humor too. She was
1: like, so cute. Yes,
0: she was so just like I don't know, She almost reminded me of my great grandmother in a way, mm-hmm. who was very, oh. uh, you know, sort of proper but but at the same time lively and adventurous and had her own little quick-witted humor and interjections that could could bring balance to any kind of a a conversation and um yeah and you could see too the ways because i think so much of the footage of her came from stuff that maurice shot and you could tell that he was you know, like there was so much that the, these were the things he loved about her. And that's why he captured those moments. She was moments.
1: so curious. Well, they're both curious. But I liked watch, looking. I like tiny things. So I liked watching her look at things with such curiosity and admiration and being like, I feel like that's me. Yeah. When I look at tiny things. Yeah.
0: Because they had that distinct difference. She had her still camera and was going around yeah. taking photos of details and like picking up rocks and looking at the intricate little things that were coming out of the volcanoes. And Maurice was running around with his video camera, like, you know, from one end of the volcano to 20 kilometers to the other side. And like looking for motion and action. And how does all of this fit together? You know, the earth, the rock, the acids and the lavas and the types of like, how does this all work together? It's such a great pairing. Yeah. And Um. she was so focused on what is this individual little thing and made of and I loved so much of their relationship and how they – it was inspiring to see how they wanted to do everything together.
1: Yeah. So just a couple things. So it was a collage film um, told through their footage, their photographs, their writings. um,
0: And interviews on TV shows and –
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they were prominent at that time, you know, in the si- scientific world.
0: They did a lot to bring awareness to what they were doing and studying they, as well. Like, they're very outspoken. They would uh, go do research project, then come back and go on the talk circuit and, and share what they, they learned.
1: Well, isn't it, Um, if it weren't for their, um, sorry, if it's for all the, um, um, if it weren't for them there wouldn't have been that uh escape
0: oh yeah in chile i think or somewhere down in south america
1: they brought awareness of
0: because they had studied mount saint helens and why like how that eruption happened and then they were able to identify another mountain in south america that was a big danger and they were able to get everyone evacuated because they noticed some warning signs from that mountain. Yeah, they put
1: together an, an evacuation plan mm-hmm. um, that wasn't taken seriously. And then there was an eruption that killed a bunch of people. And then they died. And it wasn't until after they died, I think, where another eruption happened somewhere else. Where then people, I think I think that's how it I don't went.
0: remember the timeline of it. I just remember they were instrumental in helping develop evacuation plans, and that there was an explosion that or an eruption that they. Oh, you found it.
1: Uh, the craft's footage of a pyroclastic flow in 1986 uh, was used in an educational video to help governments understand their dangers. Um, and a week after the couple's death, its lessons were put into practice when Mount Pinatubo erupted in the Philippines. Right. Um, do you remember the, what a pyroclastic flow is or the difference between the well, they had um, put volcanoes in two different categories, the red ones and the gray ones.
0: Yeah The red ones were like like what's like Hawaii, where it's it's sort of a constant eruption and there's this steady flow of red hot lava. It doesn't really blow up or do anything in terms of big action it's you know there can be little moments of that but for the most part you, they just kind of spew the lava out and as yeah. long as you're aware of how it's flowing because it flows kind of like water so for the most part again it's nothing is um absolute but for the most part as long as you're aware of where that's going um you'll be okay and you can stay out of the way, and it, it won't really be much danger. And right. then the gray ones were explosive, where they like Mount St. Helens. Um, for those who know that eruption in Washington State, it's um, you know, the mountain will look normal, and then one day just kablooey. And if I'm gonna go from memory on pyroclastic flows, uh, from what I remember, they're mostly just hot, hot gas and rock and ash. Can, you want me to Anything just, yeah, you can, if you have something, please. If you're done. Yeah.
1: So, sorry, I, I'm doing the study over here because I feel very, um, quality
0: control on our I words. don't
1: have the knowledge. I don't have the memory. It's terrible. <laughs> and I feel bad for all my ums. <laughs> and so a red volcano cannot produce a pyroclastic flow. A gray volcano is far more destructive and dangerous. The magma is usually very viscous and gaseous. Pressure builds and builds in the magma chamber until the volcano cannot hold it anymore, and then it just explodes. Yeah. And that's what it says. Uh, And I guess this is how people identify things now, too. So a red volcano freely spews out lava or molten rock, which flows out at a very slow pace. Um, So a volcano in Hawaii, they say. The lava is destructive in its own way by destroying roads, buildings, and land, but can easily be outpaced. Mm -hmm. And then we already know about the gray volcano.
0: Yeah. So they were instrumental in helping uh, discover, I guess, the unique characteristics of those volcanoes. And then they tragically passed away. In a pyroclastic flow in Japan, but I love that they died together doing the things that they loved the most. You know, like from the moment they met, they like never left each other, and yeah, were constantly that's together, what said. and and just out there in the volcanoes exploring, being with one another. And you know, I think there were several times throughout the movie that they had even mentioned, "Yes, it's dangerous, but if I die," yeah. Like, this is how I want to go.
1: Well, I think Maurice said this is, this word. this is this is going to kill me. This is going to kill me. Yeah. So he pred- he just predicted it.
0: Yeah. And they both professed that desire to to just go together. Mm-hmm. And they were so connected.
1: Let's um also mention that they weren't the only ones killed in this. They were 41 other people plus them. Yeah. I'm trying to actually find out how how far it reached it, – when you watch the footage, like, it's fast. Oh, yeah. It, there's no way to they avoid it. But they were so – far. it what we would perceive as far, you'd think, oh, I'm okay. No, fucking run, drive, get, at, like, in a whole new town. Like, just – or, just, I don't know, just keep driving for as long as possible.
0: Well, I remember when they talked about the Mount St. Helens one – the their best predictions thought the pyroclastic flows would go about 7 kilometers from the mountain and they had a an observatory station that was 10 kilometers away and they thought oh that'll be safe and then when it erupted um, the man who was manning that station only had enough time to scream out on the radio Vancouver Vancouver this is it and then it hit him and he was killed Yeah. so that was 3 kilometers beyond what they predicted and he was He was already taken out.
1: Yeah, so which is crazy. Volcanic rock and ash.
0: Yeah, and it's mostly the 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 heat, I guess, and the rock that will will kill. Well, I I don't know what the gas is made of in there too, either. Yeah, I think it's mostly the heat. They're just they're really hot. They just vaporize you, I guess. Wow, anyways it's of. a
1: national <laughs> <laughs> right yeah well because I think all they said was found was it was obvious they were right next to each other but there was like a watch
0: mm-hmm. and something watch. else the camera
1: yeah yeah
0: I think they found their bones still too I don't think your bones I feel like I'd away. be
1: okay with going out that way right as soon like if it's super quick
0: yeah it would probably be quick
1: and if they had a chance to, they would have been holding on to each other. They would have been, like, that's really sweet.
0: Absolutely. So,
1: it was National Geographic. Please just go watch it.
0: I think it should be on Disney Plus on the 11th, November 11th. It's
1: 97 minutes, but it's worth every minute. And it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful, the love story, but the um, the just, they shot, yeah. Too. And so cool, like it's retro, it's vintage, but it's got just life
0: and that like French flair. Yeah, I loved the music and the soundtrack too. Yeah, it, it added this. Yeah, I don't know, just that sort of French flair.
1: So shout out to that. That was a move. That that was a. What did you? What time did we watch that?
0: In the nine- evening. Th- yeah, it was like nine thirty or something.
1: It was late. That one was late. So again, <laughs> we we got home late but we made a new friend that night
0: yeah that's where we met rodrigo rodrigo shout out to rodrigo we were picking our seats and i was leaving a gap in the seats because there was this man sitting behind in the um in the aisle directly behind us and i was like well i don't want to block this guy's view because earlier that day there was someone sitting in front of me and i couldn't read the subtitles on the (laughs) films because their big head was in my way and he laughed, but we just we kept striking up conversation. And then when it got over and Brian was talking with him and we just all started chatting, and we had such a great conversation and exchanged contact information as we were leaving <laughs> the theaters and we all went home. And then, uh, yeah, the next day we went to watch more movies.
1: It was a long weekend of movies.
0: And we did not see Rodrigo in the morning, but we did see our next favorite film, the well, territory
1: hold on there were a few that morning as well
0: okay i'm just trying to jump to the good parts
1: oh okay do <laughs> you don't want to talk about the big mountain Bagby? Be?
0: was that I thought that was after
1: no the territory was the last one because it was the longest one
0: oh, okay yeah let's talk about begbie then i did enjoy that one i forgot it was part of that
1: i know it's hard to follow when there's so <laughs> sorry we saw many. a lot of films <laughs>
0: Yes, but bagby that was a really powerful one, especially because it was a very local film. It was set in Revelstoke and Banff areas, uh, which is British Columbia and Alberta for those outside of Canada or who don't know their Canadian geography. And Chantel is looking up the description to read you the official.
1: Uh-huh. Beyond Bagby is what it's called. So standing tall over the Revelstoke... Be- Revelstoke Valley, Mount Begbie has inspired and created contemporary culture for an entire community. But its name and story only represent colonial history with no reference to the indigenous heritage of this land. Is it the outdoor community's responsibility to help change this? Yes. It's
0: everybody's responsibility.
1: It's, it is. It's a it's ever. yeah, everybody's but especially responsibility. Especially those I
0: guess who are with them or um yeah, especially those who enjoy the mountains and the outdoors. We can be great advocates of that change.
1: Yeah, because why does this white guy who came in and killed a bunch of people get to be named uh, uh, on a mountain? And what about all the other... Uh, you know what I didn't learn? Or maybe I missed it. It was what the actual name... Like the indigenous indigenous name of the mountain is.
0: Yeah, I don't remember what Begbie in particular was, but I remember there was in Banff, the one that was Sleeping Buffalo because it looks like a big sleeping buffalo.
1: And it's actually called the Tunnel.
0: Was that Tunnel Mountain?
1: Tunnel Mountain, yeah. Okay. Because I remember Nahani saying it looks exactly like a buffalo. Why would they call it a tunnel? I don't get it. And then there's
0: (laughs) what? Sacred Guardian... Well, welcome.
1: <laughs> no, no
0: one's. Sorry, we shouldn't talk about those ones because I can't remember the names. But, yeah. Um, I think what struck me about that, or what I took away from that the most, I found this interesting: how the Western colonial culture that came in wanted to name things after people, but the indigenous naming traditions have been naming those places after what the land like looks like or contains you know i remember they were talking about a caribou crossing or sorry no i think that came up in a different film but it brought that to my forefront you know and even sleeping buffalo like we name this because look at it or this is what happens here yeah, this is why you go here this has
1: nothing to do with you
0: it's not about some person who who like who the fuck knows who that person is like so why the fuck would that matter name the land after the land mm-hmm. which felt so much more i don't know logical on one level and yeah. just honest and and respectful of the land itself you know instead of trying to put your humanity onto the land why don't you become part of the land and respect that and it, it like even from a, from a navigation standpoint it made sense to me if i was going to look for yeah. A mountain called Sleeping Buffalo. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> there can it find
1: is. your way around.
0: And it's kind of funny too, right? You go, Oh yeah. Like that makes me laugh a little, it makes me smile inside and, and say that's really hilarious how the land looks like something completely different. And how unique that probably is. It's easier mm-hmm. to find that than it is what's a Begbie. Exactly. The fuck.
1: Stop <laughs> trying to claim things that aren't yours, that aren't isn't anybody's. Well
0: it seems very vain. When I think about it, too. <laughs> yeah. Let's name it after people. Like, that person's going to die and no one's going to know who they are.
1: Exactly. Why would you do that? Is that the kind of history that also that we want to recognize?
0: Well, yeah, and then there's that layer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that one was good.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And they brought, there was a good bunch of them. I forget her name, but the glass artist who was featured in that was actually sitting right next to us. So it was really fun when they showed that and they brought the crew up to the front. And
1: I wish they had the names on here,
0: too. Yeah. But I remember she gets up and walks up there and you're like, oh, my God, I was sitting right next to somebody who's <laughs> whose work is so here. She was so
1: proud of that, too, um, that whole thing because she, she was cheering up at the end. And I was like, yeah. That's awesome.
0: That was beautiful. And then the whole thing shifted gears because we moved into a big documentary which surprised me for this showing, but we got to see another National Geographic production.
1: The Territory. Minutes. Yeah, sorry, The Territory, yeah. Yeah,
0: and you'll read the description of that.
1: Um, so, The Territory provides an immersive on the ground look at the tireless fight of an indigenous community against the encroaching deforestation in the Brazilian Amazon. Uh, with awe inspiring cinematography, the film takes audiences deep into the territory and provides unprecedented access to the farmers and settlers illegally burning and clearing the protected indigenous land partially shot by the Yoruewe people. The film relies on verite footage captured over three years as the community risks their lives to set up their own news media team in the hopes of exposing the truth. On that note, um, it's the Brazilian Amazon. Yes. It is what they refer to as the lungs of the earth. So people are trying to claim the rainforest as their own land. So they're removing it. What they're not understanding is that there will be no land if they continue to do that.
0: Well, there will be no forest to convert the carbon dioxide back into oxygen.
1: Yeah. So there will be no land. There will be no people. There. It's just. It's. 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 It's a. It's a worldwide devastation. Yeah. For someone who just wants to uh, be a landowner.
0: Well, and they want their land. Well, they want to cut down the forest to create ranches for cattle because there's big money in meat between Brazil and Argentina.
1: So let's find other ways. <laughs> anyway.
0: And again, cows produce methane and other greenhouse gases. So we don't
1: need any more of them?
0: No. As we say, I don't know. The debate is uh, seemingly without a good solution. But the, the main point of this documentary is that there was an agreement. There's been a treaty and that that land has been set aside for these people and these people alone. And it was agreed that the Brazilian government and Brazilian citizens would not encroach upon that or disturb that land or otherwise inhabit it. And they're blatantly breaking those rules under the protection of Bolsonaro, uh, who was the previous Brazilian president. is a very Trump-like character within Brazilian politics, and he emboldened a lot of these people to break those rules and, you know, promising that the government will be behind them and support them and that they have this right to, uh, to do that. As I talk about it right now, actually, it reminds me of the manifest destiny in the United States, which was this belief that that a lot of colonizers had that the the whole continent is theirs and they had the right to go from Virginia to California and claim all of that land is theirs because it is their manifest destiny. And it's kind of gross to see it repeated in your own lifetime in a different culture. And I guess when you see it from that, you know, objective point of view, you say, oh yeah, fuck, that's really disgusting. Because there are already people here. They have a culture. They have a land. They have a way of life. And I loved how when they, you know, finally, you know, they they try to be honest. They try to go through the government channels because there was a relation, um, like a branch of the government that had relationship with them and would... Communicate and offer them services and send medicines, and you know, there was a good relationship there until Bolsonaro came in and he basically eradicated that, and it only existed on paper, and there was no actual support anymore. And so, they're caught in that hard place of being extremely outnumbered because there's what 250 something of them. No, then COVID hits the beginning of the and there's 180 something. The beginning
1: of the documentary, um, it's the tribe, um, is presented as. As just two hundred people, yeah, two hundred.
0: Yeah. That's
1: nothing. That is sad.
0: Yeah, against you know Brazil.
1: And what did Bolsonaro say when um, he was, you know, ranting? He's like, "Everybody will have a gun, and there will be no indigenous land."
0: Yeah, they're going to take it all.
1: Yeah. What, and to watch the f- fucking people be like, "Yes, we want that. What is wrong with you? Why do you need more, 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 more you why do you even need guns like also,
0: and going in and slashing and burning hundreds of acres of land
1: killing animals, a mm-hmm. uh, shit ton of animals, too and veget- just vegetation and like yeah. this one really, really, really got to me.
0: Yeah. It's worth noting that Bolsonaro did lose the latest election to a pre, uh, a previous president. Uh, was it Luna de Silva? Sorry. I don't remember his first name, but de Silva. Um, so he is out of power or will be, um, but not without some spectacular politics that, I don't know. It really shakes a lot of my faith in these institutions that we have. When you see people feeling so emboldened and at a point where they have so dehumanized another group of people that they feel they have a right to go in and act as these people do.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, this is saying the film interweaves ver- verite footage. What's that? Do you, you, you know? Cinema that?
0: verite. Yeah, it's it's like self-shot. Okay. You know, um, gorilla style. Like
1: Yeah, so yeah. it it of uh, settlers who uh have genuine faith in their entitlement of the Amazonian land. I'm reading this off of the internet, by the way. Um, just to help guide us through this but which i thought was also interesting because if i were oh okay so self so those were self-shot mm-hmm. or or did the um
0: a lot of, it means a lot of it's self-shot
1: okay so but how did they so who took the 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 videos of them? it said
0: then? mostly did it say the word mostly there it just says f-
1: the film interweaves.
0: Yeah, interweaves.
1: So. so, was it those guys, the settlers themselves, who provide? Which, what I, what if it were the, um, the the people who are documenting it, um, like if that were me watching those guys destroy, I'd be fucking stopping them. Like I'd have a really hard time to watch them do that. But I get. That they have to. What are you looking at me like that for?
0: Uh, like I, I admire that, but also if if you're standing there and this man has a machete, oh and for you're out sure, in the middle for sure, I would want to. Yourself, I said I would want to. I'd have of, a really totally. hard
1: time to yeah. be documenting it without wanting to do something. Of course, like I'm not gonna get my. Uh, this is the the way that, the reason for the documentary is to bring the awareness to stop that. It just would be really fucking hard to be in there, anyways.
0: Yeah. Well, it's often the hardest part of filmmaking in general is you have to sort of stand by as an observer and let let things happen, you know, and trust that it's the power of getting that message out uh, that will bring back the justice and and uh, and and the support to stop whatever you think is happening or whatever is happening that you don't want to happen. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I admit that is, you know, when I watched that from a filmmaker perspective, that was a very difficult part of it. Just thinking, man, yeah, how could you, how can you keep your cool and keep up, I guess, the facade, you know, because you kind of have to go along with them. It's like being a bit of a spy in a way, right? Like, yeah, you sort of got to go in there and pretend you're on their side and with their cause. But then you hand the footage off to someone else and it, doesn't make them look good anymore. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. um, I'm going to butcher his name, but Batate? But,
0: I don't remember the butate, pronunciation Batate,
1: he is one of the, um, he's 18 at the beginning of this. Um, he's one of the youth in the tribe. And um, so it centers around him and also um, Nadina, who is an environmental and human rights activist and um, for trying to protect them. Um, Bitate is, uh, he's selected as the leader at 18 to help protect and, um, change the future for, for them. And, and there's also a man named Ari.
0: He was like a scout for them. Yeah, He would it, often go out here, and find where It also where mentions
1: they, um, he was a tribal leader as well. But, but the patrol, yeah. as you say, yeah.
0: Well, he was in charge of their patrols.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their patrols was to find these invaders, as they called them, and you know try to stop them, I guess. And he was murdered for it.
0: Yeah, they found him dead, beaten to death on the All side right. of the road.
1: Is this too much? Are we giving away too much? No. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's a big part. There's nothing to really give away. The story is the struggle is still ongoing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I Um, think that's why it's important to talk about it. And I think what admire what I admire the most, at least from what we see in the film, was that they didn't stoop so low to that level. Like they mm. were not murdering in return.
1: No, they just were trying. They were arresting people. Yeah. So, so later on as, as it progresses, um, so Ari, Ari has, uh, they never found his killer and Batate, Batate. I wish I could say your name properly, um, takes up for one, he's, he becomes the leader, um, plus takes up the patrol. And at this time he's bringing in all this equipment, like drones and, um,
0: cameras and gps
1: yeah which is really cool to see that stuff being used in a good way um because he's he's got like his one of his monitor things says you're being arrested because you are in our territory this is in our territory they're burning down um shelters and stuff and that they find that are encroaching they're not supposed to be there the uh, reason they're there is because people are like, oh, okay, this is our base. We're going to cut down some shit and make it our land. And
0: Well, the government told all of these people who wanted to settle the land, all you have to do is go out and survey it, claim it, organize yourselves into some kind of a community association, and then we will legally bless you with this land.
1: Yeah. Well, okay, so actually there's there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of different people we are seeing so we have the the tribe i'll I'll just so i stop butchering names um and then the sergio who who started what he called the association where he's working with the government and they tell him that he he can do that and then there's the other invaders who are solo people going out being like fuck the the association fuck the government fuck the tribe I'm doing this all for me in my Mm -hmm. personal.
0: Because they feel they have no place in the Brazilian society. Yeah. And so they feel that, again, that is their right then. Because I'm forced out of my society, I have the right to invade your space and create my own.
1: And they also recite something from the Bible. Yeah. Do you remember that? They they put a lot on their faith in God and saying that God said, I have the right to be here.
0: I don't like that. Which is something a lot of. Um, I don't know, religion often gets used as a cover for a lot of evil shit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And not not to down, I don't mean that as an insult to religion. I mm-hmm. know that religions are good, but it, it's sad that the way that people will use that as a cover and a front to do mm-hmm. some really evil shit.
1: Yeah. And then, like you said, COVID, um, COVID comes in and it, it takes 5% of the tribe out.
0: Mm-hmm yeah so they're down to less than two hundred members.
1: Yeah. but the the end of it, did you want to add anything in between there? Um, it's a really it's a long s- amazing, sad story, and uh, but it really made me want to do whatever i'm I can on where I am to. To aid in that, even if it's just sharing it on this podcast and hoping that other people hear it, see it, and in turn take action. Mm-hmm. Um, but the an- the end is um, inspiring because then you see Patate and his patrol, and he they're catching so many people, but they're still uh, they're still not doing able to do enough.
0: Yeah, well, there's such small numbers, right? Yeah. It's less, I mean, than 100, the less than 200 yeah. people against, like, all of Brazil. Or at least a big portion of it who voted for the uh, Bolsonaro character, previous president. Um, but I, I think, too, it was shocking to see a reflection of a lot of the grossness that's happening within North American politics, too. You know, and feeling like there's certain people who are now Im- feeling emboldened and that things are their right And, yeah, it just makes me really wary of anyone who talks like that.
1: I have to say, this came out, uh, it was premiered in January of this year. And I just saw it. And that also takes me back to being this little bubble that I need to poke holes through.
0: But it's also been on, like, this festival circuit.
1: Yeah. It hasn't
0: been out in... Maybe not, yeah,
1: this documentary, but just awareness. I mean, we all knew that the rainforests were in trouble in the first place. But why did it take this documentary to get me to be thinking a bit more seriously?
0: Be grateful that it happened.
1: Yeah, so I chose that that day as my People's Choice Awards.
0: Mm Mm-hmm, 100%. It's a fantastic one. It will also be on Disney Plus November 11th, I saw. So, highly recommend that people check it out. Um, yeah. We'll try to post some links on something, maybe some way you can get involved some, with that.
1: At least some, maybe some trailer links or something.
0: hmm yeah. And then from there, yeah, that, wow, it took a while to decompress from that, because that mm-hmm. was such a powerful story. Um, but we wandered over to the marketplace. And I remember the first thing, we walked into the one room and I was immediately drawn towards the table of gemstones that you were already looking at.
1: Uh, straight to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like rocks.
0: Yeah. Well, what what drew your attention to them?
1: I like rocks. <laughs> I just like rocks. <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. Um, I like colors. I like that they're shiny and polished and there's flat ones and there's big ones and small ones and shiny ones. Did I say that already? and um crystals and i don't it, yeah
0: yeah that's Enjoy it
1: them. that's really it and then she had jewelry and and i don't wear a lot of jewelry i like rings and my piercings but necklaces and bracelets not a big thing um but i've been really into looking for d- rings More mm. rings and uh so i was just I was just looking at everything and touching everything uh, I'm sorry I was touching everything <laughs> um trying to find what what just I wanted to take something home, but I needed something to ask me to take it home no, yeah. but instead you ended up finding something out I of there
0: did well, you found a couple of things yeah, not but, for
1: me though no <laughs> oh,
0: gotcha um yeah, I was drawn towards an area of the table that had some necklaces, and then there was these ones that had. Lava rock beads on them, and that's what caught my eye first. And then I noticed there was these big hunks of stone on them that had some cool patterns to them. And I later find out they're agate, which is a type of rock from, uh, or originally discovered in Sicily. It's quite common around the world, similar to a quartz. But it had this cool, oh, what is it? It's sort of white and earth and black and
1: kind of looks like if you cut into a cake. It's got layers.
0: Like a, I can't remember the cake right now. Tuxedo cake? Is that the one? Yeah. Anyhow, it was cool and I felt drawn to that and then I'm looking around and there was two pieces in particular that I was drawn to. One had this very sort of chevron-y pattern, you know, like 90 degree angles at a point going down. It's kind of this big square hunk of rock cut into like a I don't know, what are these, like half a centimeter or something? Or no, sorry, half an inch thickness. And then there was another one that had sort of a bit of a J shape to it. And I remember I was looking between the two of them and I asked you to come over and give your opinion. And we ended up settling on the J shaped one. but We were
1: both leaning towards that one yeah. before you told me.
0: And what was cool, I had asked the woman there, uh, what was her name? Simsha? Simsha. I think Simsha um she owns geochems makes these and she gave me a book that she had that talked about the rocks and this agate in particular uh well in the book it was talking about it's usually with your throat chakra which is associated with clarity and clear communication and and it also brings uh just like healing or um yeah like healing from headaches helps protect you from negative energies and I found that really fascinating. How I was drawn immediately to that, especially since in North Carolina I had this meditation with this extremely clear vision of my third eye. You know, like when you close your eyes and you can see this. Are image you going to take eye. a
1: minute to tell us exactly how that go- how that went? Because it's fucking weird. <laughs> like it's um, I, the way I picture it is so crazy cool, and it's wow that you actually saw that and. I was n- napping, I think, when you were doing that. Or cleaning, I don't remember.
0: Yeah. I don't remember if I wrote about it on here. I don't have it handy, sorry. But um, usually when I've meditated and I've seen a third eye, it's just this static image, and it maybe kind of floats around a little in space in this sort of blue-green fuzzy energy. But this time, that came through. And then it blinked <laughs> and that caught me off guard. So I was like, Whoa, like I've never <laughs> interacted with it or felt, felt it moving in any way. And then I looked around a little, like it kind of looked left and it looked right. And I remember feeling like it was seeing inside of me, you know, like in, in my soul and spirit and, uh, sights of your third eye within meditation are also, you know, your third eye is very closely associated with, uh, clarity and, And so I found that really like a cool synchronicity of the universe, how I'd had this meditation and then I walk into this room full of gems and what am I drawn to? And I felt like this has become a period in my life as well where I am becoming more clear in my communication, Um, my perceptions of the world. Things are beginning to make a lot more sense and I'm feeling a lot more myself, like who I I truly am, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: not this... um, I don't know, I guess kind of varied experimental version of myself that I was through most of my twenties. As you should be, right? Like try try out different personalities and things and uh you know, I think that's a huge part of how you find yourself. But that's so um, cool. And then also the lava rock, it's earth, it's grounding and you know, if you're into astrology and signs, I'm a water sign and so to me earth is it's what helps give me my shape, keeps me together, keeps me whole right cuz you know a lake is only a lake because of the land that surrounds it you know a river can only flow where it is because of the way the land um, because of the way the land is like it's a very cool relationship and i have very very much felt without guidance and purpose and and boundary so it it felt very appropriate that that's what i was drawn to mm-hmm. in the moment and i had a wonderful conversation with the woman there um I don't remember much of it, but I just remember it was <laughs> really great. <laughs> and she invited us back out to the Canmore Folk Festival in August. Yeah. So we'll have to try and make our way back out there in August. Yeah. And then we popped over to the other table where this woman was selling books. And her she, name, she
1: did a really good job at selling that <laughs> book. <laughs>
0: her name is Diane. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry, Diane. I cannot pronounce your last name. Last name. Je Hachet. I'm so sorry if that's completely wrong. But <laughs> it's
1: been a difficult day for <laughs> there was pronunciation. A
0: lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, she wrote about her experience in kayaking around the Arctic, uh, like through the, oh, what's it called? Northwest Passage in the Arctic of Canada. And she did a couple trips before that prepared her for that. And so she wrote this book called Nothing is Impossible because she was... Oh, my gosh. What was it? 55 when she did her first kayak trip down the Mackenzie River. And then what was it maybe 58 or something? I think about 58 when she did the Northwest Passage or started it. because so it took her a couple of summers to complete it.
1: Six summers.
0: Yeah. Because she'd summers. go,
1: she'd do the, the she'd go, she'd kayak, and then she'd stop and go back to work for a bit and then go back to kayaking.
0: Yeah. Because there's such a short Because there is such a short passage of time where, you know, it's not frozen or the weather isn't windy and stormy and it's possible to kayak. Um, So anyways, I I had such a great time talking with her and I had spent $20 at the Gemstone booth and had $30 left over because I got a $50 tip from the wedding shoot. Mm-hmm. So I ask her how much is the book. She says $30 and I go, "My god, I just happened upon $30. Here you go." <laughs> like I would love to read this story.
1: Cash done. Yep. <laughs> spent in All 5 50, minutes. Gone.
0: But totally worth it. I love supporting them. I you know, as a bit of a writer myself, um, you know, working on my own book, it's it, it feels really good to you know, see what could be your future self. Hawking your own story at a little (laughs) folding table at a festival in the mountains. And it made me just feel like I, I need to give. And I loved her spirit and the fact that she, you know, went for these things at a time in life when most of us, you know, think, oh, you should be thinking of retiring and like giving up.
1: And then going to Mexico for a fly and lie. My mom
0: She goes the opposite.
1: She's like, no, adventure.
0: She says, heck with that. There's shit I want to do and I'm going to go do it. I like that. And I really loved it. So I asked her to sign it. She wrote in there, Jake, impossible is just an opinion.
1: I like that a lot too.
0: And signed it. And -hmm. it makes me really happy. And I've been enjoying reading it. I think I'm almost halfway through it already. You know, you like like that
1: kind of stuff. So I'm really glad that you, uh, you got it. Yeah, when it feels right. It
0: feels right. It's wonderful to meet her. And then we had also met uh, was it Caroline Cote, who is an athlete and filmmaker, represented or in a what do you call it?
1: Oh, you met. She's her. got a relationship
0: with Helly Hansen.
1: You met remember her outside. What they She's like
0: a sponsored athlete or something. But she was at the Helly Hansen booth, which was out front of the market. And they were having a little contest where you can throw these fake dynamites into a into a hole, like cornhole. But you yeah, had these little fake dynamites you had to throw into it. And she's preparing for a trek across Antarctica, like walking across it, hauling a sled. Oh yeah, right, because they had that contest where you have to her guess. Contest how heavy her contest was the sled. Yeah, you have to guess how heavy the sled is with all her supplies for this journey across Antarctica.
1: I'll interject and just say that I went um, for uh, uh, went inside for warmth while Jake and Brian were outside doing this. I needed sanctuary, so I didn't yeah. meet her.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. I'm enamored by people um, who do big, bold things, and I really love when I have the opportunity to meet them in person because it really humanizes them and makes that whole effort seem accessible you know like I go wow yeah look at you here you are another human just like me and if I just put forth the effort learned what I need to learn about this trip did the training I could do it too
1: I'd probably die (laughs) I would die I'm not a winter girl
0: yeah but I mean, you know, pick your discipline, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, I'll try something else. But it's just, <laughs> it, it, it gives me a kind of motivation that I don't get by just watching something. You know, when you have that chance to see somebody and you go, you're about to do what?
1: <laughs>
0: you know, it's really cool. Like, I'm standing here and then one week from now, you're going to be like down in Antarctica, beginning this walk across that continent. Whoa. That's wild. It's super cool. Yeah, it makes me feel really alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then what did we do? We hopped into the indigenous panel.
1: Yeah, we walked around a, a little bit discussion. more, and then and then and then we went. We wanted to listen to the indigenous panel. Yeah, where there were four um, different indigenous folk from different backgrounds, different areas as well. Of the world, and um, maybe not like the whole world, but
0: (laughs) most of North America.
1: Mm, Yeah. Who talked a lot about what we could do and try to give us an understanding about indigenous, period.
0: Well, it was a a bit about reconciliation, reconciliation, a bit about respect in nature. And, you know, I think it was about what does that look like in action? Uh, especially pertaining to the outdoor community.
1: Yeah, and what we can do. Um, you use the word rec- recreate a lot.
0: Yeah, and recreate. Yeah, reconciliation reconciliation, and recreation. Yeah. I might have actually been the title of the panel.
1: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> but I loved what I took away from that was this understanding that you know, the world is a living place right all the spaces that we inhabit the trees around us the animals the grass the homes we live in the air that we breathe all of it is alive and energized you know and we have to honor and respect that
1: and we have to talk to it and we have to oh, i'm so sorry i'm losing steam it's been a long conversation um it made me feel better about uh, also because I'm Métis. I don't have my status. But I always had thought um, if I had gotten my, if I get my status, I'd be taking away from the, everybody else that really needs it. Um, and I, I don't know why, but like there, it kind of made me feel more like, no, I would I'd be recognizing who I am fully like if i can't recognize that part of myself um and embrace it fully then i then i wouldn't be able to know myself completely and then you said something about yeah you're you'd be adding to the number and you'd be helping actually yeah um but yeah giving back to the land and also um words are hard <laughs>
0: I don't know what you're going towards.
1: Honoring sacred places mm. and knowing where you yes. can step and where you can't.
0: Yeah, that really came across in Sky's conversation. Who With, she's a Hawaiian, and yeah. um, oh, I'm forgetting the word she's using. But uh, you know, a big thing that they do is they, you know, they place their ancestors in very specific locations once they pass right like your remains are put in a very specific place and you go there so that you can commune and connect with them and you know she's a climber by trade and so there are some areas where there might be great climbing but it's also a very important ancestral site um in terms of where you put the remains of your ancestors. And so it is disrespectful to, you know, climb on top yeah, of them. walk on and, them. Yeah, right? Um, just the same as if you go to a graveyard and it's a sign of disrespect to walk on top of the graves, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Same thing. Um it's and the same concept making
1: sure not there. to put them in areas where um, there could be landslides. And so really getting to know mm-hmm. the land uh, um, to avoid any any destruction or issues of where these remains would be would come back up
0: yeah but i loved that it was about encouraging a connection with the land you know like you can also use it to your assistance right like if if you come in and you recognize the land in the space and listen to it it will guide you it will help get you where you need it will warn you of dangers that are ahead yeah and you know it's it's silly i guess to like, I guess, go forward against that because it's just going to make your life so much more difficult. If you just slow down and learn to communicate with the land, if you learn to read its warning signs and, and learn to communicate with it so that you can find those easy routes... So that you can use the power of the land or the water or the snow or the elements, you know, like use those powers in your advantage to make your journey easier. Which to me, always, it always sounds very counter to the Western narrative that. Take, take,
1: take. Well,
0: take, take, take. But also you have to like work hard, you know, like fight through something. It's mm. a burden. It's difficult. You have to be tough and you have to break shit. And <laughs> I don't know, especially me being such, you know, like I'm a sensitive empath kind of person. And so that has never really rung true to me. Um, Yet at the same time, when I embrace those qualities of myself, then I acquire the things that I need with relative ease and I don't have to work that hard and I'm not as tired. I'm not as diseased. You know, ooh, that was something that I think I noticed on that, I'm sorry, the territory movie, just to... Quick observation, like looking at the physical differences between the indigenous group and those settler people, they looked diseased. Like when you looked at them, they were run down, ragged, boils on their skins and like they did not look healthy Mm -hmm. compared to the indigenous group Mm -hmm. where they all look very healthy. Yeah. They didn't have the new, maybe their shirt was ragged or something, but you look at the quality, like their skin, their hair, their health, their general demeanor and the way they carry themselves maturity. Yeah, very healthy. The other people look very diseased. Yeah. And sick. It was a weird sorry, I had to throw that in there cuz it really struck me in the moment on that film. Um but yeah, I loved I loved taking that away from that panel. Uh, and I think it also helped just it, it changed a lot of my perceptions of 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 the natural world around us. And um, made me want to be uh I don't know find ways to connect more with
1: well on that note i'll say one thing Mm. i i I took a lot of that out of there too so i'm just going to roll with what you said but also what i also liked was that they provided some insight on how we can um be allies and sky said something about how um yes be an ally but remember that your voice is Is behind us. You're backup. You're like a backup singer. You're not the lead. So let, like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. (laughs) And just offer the support. Don't be the face. You aren't the face. You no, you're the help. Yeah. And not to say that in a bad way. You're you're the support. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, but on the note of um, you know, environment and and what we can do to to connect with that we are about to start like our close to i'm gonna call it close to zero waste um plan for our home and uh our lives i bring that up because now it's real (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. and uh we actually we're gonna do some we're gonna record how we're making changes but we have a lot a lot to prepare for and it's gonna take a really long time but it's a it's something i'm really excited about and I feel like that's just one small way that we can um make an impact as well and and that's yeah
0: yeah what reminds me of a big part of mountain culture is you know pack it in pack it out right
1: pack it in pack (laughs) it out
0: (laughs) like you know you go in you respect the land you enjoy your time there but you don't leave waste and you bring only what you need yeah um you know, and especially with a lot of your gear, it's like you use it as long as possible. You don't just throw things away. You know, you adapt, you create solutions, and and you use the power of the world around you for that.
1: I've always really hated going camping um, and ending up somewhere where there's so much garbage and people who don't have the decency to just pick up after themselves so it would be i can't i'm a clean i'm just a organizer cleaner kind of obsessive person in that way anyways so i would pick it up and take it out so if you ever have around that kind of environment you have that chance always pick up after other people as well
0: just do it absolutely yeah and then what was it we had we were we, we saw we met up with Rodrigo. Rodrigo he was, was right panel. behind
1: us again. Oh he was, yeah, right. He was. He was right <laughs> behind us.
0: Yeah, and that was great. And we had just struck up another awesome conversation that kept slowly moving towards the doors. And then we were all starving because it was coming up on dinner time, and we had promised ourselves that we would have one dinner out most of the time we were making our own food and we had ate cold pasta for lunch that day
1: (laughs) hated that so much
0: (laughs) and and so we wanted to go have a nice meal and you know we i felt compelled to invite rodrigo because we had had such great conversations with him he popped up twice here
1: well you guys he had
0: an awesome restaurant recommendation so we thought hey come on join us
1: for sure, he was and alone, and he—I mean, this conversation wasn't ending anytime soon, And so it just seemed like the right thing to do.
0: Hundred percent, and I'm so glad we did because it was so wonderful oh, yeah. to get to know him and his story. And yeah. I'm hoping that we could have him on this podcast sometime. Yeah, to, so we won't. So talk. he can tell his story, and yeah. I don't have to tell it for exactly.
1: him. Exactly, just repeating what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> but where did we go? Because I fucking love that. Oh my god, it was like the box.
0: Box. Shit. I don't remember the name of it.
1: It was some box restaurant, a tiny hole in the wall, but it was like fusion
0: um, It was sort of food. a tapas style restaurant, yes. but it was very like Asian and... Fusion
1: inspired. Asian there was,
0: Indian, or like, I guess Asian and Southeast Asian.
1: It was so good. Yeah.
0: There were so many I, It
1: was there. so good, I'm yelling. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was so good. It had the karage, the gyozas. What else did we have? Pork and
0: kimchi Pan,
1: pan fried shrimp. Oh, my yeah, God. Those that yam spicy fries. Sauce. Huh. Oh, yeah,
0: and that Oh, yeah. What, they're like uh, yam fries with beneath, bento I bento want flake it, on it again. No. I oh,
1: want I it now. I can't remember the fish. I'm my brain's not working again. either. I want those. Mm, so and good. And the
0: edamame. Yeah, and, so we um, just
1: shared a bunch of, we just did the tapas thing.
0: Yeah. And it was all so great greatly enjoyed that
1: it was so good i'm telling you
0: and then that night we went back for the awards and films yeah because at the end of the festival they um they have a big award ceremony a lot of the filmmakers weren't there in person this time Mm -hmm. which was a little disappointing but some were and that was really fun and cool and many of them i think all of them had recorded cool video yeah um acceptance speeches as well. So it was really cool to see and hear from the filmmakers.
1: And I think there were only three out of, I don't know how many, uh, that we had actually seen.
0: Yeah, so we got to see a lot of new films. And I don't know, I feel like I'm done talking about all the yeah, films. Yeah, so I'll <laughs> just say... If you're feeling tired, you're feeling exactly how we felt at the end it's, of this. Yeah,
1: it's hard to... Words are hard. But I will say, when the People's Choice Award came up, I was disappointed because it wasn't the territory it wasn't the territory and I was really upset I was upset like that's all I can say I'm just like how the fuck and I didn't realize that there was one last reward award (laughs) reward award Um, the number one and they won and I literally the grand prize $5,000 I shot my arms up and I was just like woo! I was so excited, and then I cried a little bit.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. I'm glad they won that, and I hope that money goes to, uh, you know, bring peace and help that indigenous the, community yeah. with their battle.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we drove home. <sighs>
0: yeah, well, we gave Rodrigo a ride home to his hostel because it was late. Oh, we had convinced him to join. That was he didn't have tickets, but we that. were all
1: sitting. Well, Jake <laughs> and I got to sit together because Brian. Gave up his seat, but um, Brian and Rodrigo were off and on whole other other places. Yeah. Oh, we were all kind of separated. But and we
0: got home at like 2 in the morning after driving through
1: it was late. a
0: minus 20 degree blizzard. We had talked about blizzard. leaving
1: early and we did Oh, well, Sorry,
0: not a blizzard, but it was a lot of snowfall and it was minus 20 and there was winds whipping. And I slept. Late.
1: I slept the whole way.
0: And I was just hoping that we would get home without any breakdowns. Because that would be the worst time to have a breakdown. We made it. And we made it. And we're here, back in Calgary. And it's still minus 20-something and freezing.
1: <laughs> it's miserable. I'll tell I'm miserable. I'll tell I haven't had to drive in the snow in like 10 years.
0: Yeah, and it was quite a crash course.
1: I mean, I have driven a couple, a few times in, the, in Vancouver, but like not. Yeah, it's not like this, that's for <laughs> no. sure. No. No, it's so cold. Anyways... I'm so, I can't, sorry. I hope this sound, I hope this worked out because I feel like I was failing here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it was good. That was a fun time. Anyhow, if you have never been to the Banff Mountain Film Festival, I highly encourage you to come check it out. You
1: don't have to be a film Filmographer. filmmaker <laughs> you don't have to be creating these things to enjoy these things so. no
0: you can be a film fan um in fact there's actually been a lot more film fans at the festival than there have been filmmakers which was mm-hmm. something they commented on and really appreciated and even a lot of the filmmakers there liked it because when us filmmakers get together we just talk shop and it's kind of boring because yeah we're talking i mean, about the you make shit. the
1: films For the fans.
0: Yeah, it's cool to hear what the people get out of it and not just talk about what cameras you used and how you raised your money. Um, All right. Anyhow, we'll put some links in the stuff. And (laughs) (laughs) thank you again for uh, all your support. And we'll talk to you later. hope you made it through this. Yeah. Adios. The end. Ciao.